And our final reading is from Mark, the previous page, chapter 9, verses 2 to 13. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they, where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, and good afternoon. Uh, As I understand it, this is your first time back together again after Christmas at the 4pm service, so I hope that you enjoyed your break. Uh, But now we're back again, we're back to normal life, and I don't know about you, but I always feel a little bit deflated after a big event. Do you ever feel like that? We're back to normality, back to our day-to-day lives, back to the grind. And this afternoon, we'll be thinking a little bit about that, about what keeps us going, what keeps us walking with Jesus. Why do we bother with all of this? But first, let me thank you for inviting me to join you. Uh, My name is Ben, and here there's a a photograph of myself and and my wife, Elise. Uh, As Rob said, I'm studying theology at Ridley, uh, hoping to be a vicar someday. Um, But whilst all that is happening, Elise and I are really, really pleased to be a part of Christchurch here. We normally worship at 11.15, and honestly, you've been so welcoming to us. We've been so warmly received, uh, and we just want to thank you for that. It's It's been wonderful. And I think that you've been making your way through Mark's Gospel in the past, so perhaps it's a good idea for us to have a little recap to remind ourselves of where we are uh, as we're jumping back into the Gospel about halfway through. So one of Mark's big themes is who is Jesus? And if we have a look at this timeline, we can see three things marking out some sections in his Gospel. He begins by telling us that it is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and then he has Jesus baptised. And we end the gospel with a Roman soldier confessing that Jesus really was God's son when Jesus dies on the cross. And right in the middle, the big turning point of the gospel, Jesus asks his disciples who they think he is. And Peter calls out, you're the Messiah, which leads us into today and the transfiguration. Before this, Jesus is going about in the north of the country, he's preaching and healing, he's making a name for himself. And afterwards, he makes a beeline for Jerusalem to meet his fate, and to save the world. And as we, as the readers, go on this journey, 
Mark begins to show us just who this Jesus really is. Uh, You might want to uh, keep this open on on the Mark passage. We will refer to it every now and then. Uh, But a friend of mine says that the Bible is basically about stuff that happens up mountains or during meals. And the rest of it is just walking between the two. So today we're up a mountain again. But this time we have the glory of Jesus revealed in brilliant, dazzling white. It's unnerving. It's unearthly. It's full of glory and radiant. It's frightening to the disciples. Here too, in verse 4, we have Moses and Elijah representing the prophets and the Old Testament faith. Many times in the New Testament, we hear that Jesus is the one that the prophets wrote about. And now, here in the Transfiguration, we can see that Jesus is not some afterthought, but was always central to God's plan. He's at the head of a long history, all leading up to him. Not only that, we can see in Jesus the new revelation of God's glory. Jesus is the complete revealing of God's glory to us, the place where we look to if we wish to see God in all of his amazing worth. And look with me at verse 7, where the voice from the cloud says, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And what's that all about? In our Old Testament reading, we heard of the promise that God would give his people another prophet like Moses. Who would, and they would all listen to him because he would have God's words in his mouth. And in, in our psalm, we heard of God's reply to the foolishness of the nations. His son who rules and wins. Jesus is God's answer to the problems of this world. Nothing short of that and nothing less than that. Jesus is God's answer to the problems in my life and the problems in your life. Jesus is the solution that God has provided for my shortcomings, for your weaknesses and failures. He is the answer to our deepest longings and deepest questions. It is, quite literally, all about Jesus. Now, that's quite a lot happening in that one scene, but let's hold its central image in our mind for a moment. Jesus, transformed into a brilliant, dazzling, heavenly figure, talking with heroes of faith, while his disciples look on, stunned, and trying to honour the situation as best as they can. This experience for them was a revelation of the glory which Jesus has naturally and a foretaste of the glory of his resurrection, an encouragement during the troubles that would come. It gives us something similar. Why do you do what you do? Why do you come here? Why do we pray or read the Bible or try and love our neighbour or forgive our enemy or do any of the things that are part of the Christian life? Something for us to take home today is that it is the glory of Jesus which motivates us. We do things because of him and we do things for him. We do things because of him and we do things for him. The Christian is moved by the vision of the glory of Jesus. His majesty inspires us to follow him. His beauty attracts us to worship him. His glory fills our life with hope and lifts us with, with purpose. And his power, sometimes it unnerves us and sometimes it leaves us awestruck. But in any and every situation, choosing to side with Jesus 
is worth whatever price it seems to us is attached to that choice. He is worth keeping our integrity for. He is worth a little awkwardness. He is worth being rejected by others for. He is worth resisting temptation. He is worth humbling our pride after we have failed. I don't know what is happening in your life, but whatever choices lie before you this week, Jesus is worth the difficulties that come from choosing to prioritize him and his way of love. Jesus is our motivation and our reward. And here in the transfiguration, we see the veil lifted and we see the glory of God shining out from this Jesus. But of course, it isn't simply about knowing this. In the previous chapter, Peter said that he thought Jesus was the Messiah, but now he gets a glimpse of Jesus' glory and it shakes him. And that's true, isn't it? For example, a friend can recommend a restaurant, but it's when we enjoy the food that we actually get the pleasure. Did we get any new information? No. We just experienced the truth of that statement. We're experiencing what we already thought was true, and it makes all the difference. And we need this in our Christian life. Now, of course, it won't happen every week, and it certainly won't be anything as grand as a transfiguration. But we all need little tastes of God's glory. They nourish us, they encourage us, strengthen us, and perhaps shake us out of lethargy. When was the last time that you felt the presence of God? Let me encourage you today to seek it in prayer. And as we continue our story, we notice a familiar pattern. When Jesus' disciples begin to recognize him as Messiah, he begins to predict his death. And we have it here, a wonderful revelation of glory, followed by a prediction of suffering in verse 12. The glory of the Son and the suffering of the Son, the two are linked. But why? It's perhaps easy for us who have heard the story to forget how shocking it must have been. The disciples were expecting a knight in shining armour to come and rescue them from all of their worldly problems. But no, Jesus would be quite different. Glorious, yes, but his glory was not just shining clothes and trumpets from heaven. His glory was the glory of one who loved and suffered and died and rose again, all for those that he calls his friends. You see, it is the kind of glory that is important. Jesus' glory was not a self-righteous glory. It wasn't a bright, quick, flashy sort of glory that lacks substance or endurance when things get tough. It wasn't the flair of talent that makes itself look good. No, Jesus' kind of glory was shown, it was revealed most clearly in his cross. It is there, on another mountain, that we see the glory shine most brightly on Golgotha, on Calvary, the place of the skull, the place of sacrifice, the place of glory. So what does it mean for Jesus to be the Son? It means rejection and death. And yet on he goes, towards death for all of us, for love of those he wants to follow after him. This is truly wonderful, truly motivating, and the best news for us today. Let me encourage you with this. 
the glory revealed in Jesus is the kind of glory which loves, which loves you, loves me, all the way through and through, and in spite of our weaknesses and miseries and failings, in spite of our petty grievances, in spite of the things that we should do but can't be bothered to, in spite of the things that we should stop doing but just enjoy too much, in spite of our indulging temptation or making idols out of our jobs or our families or whatever. In spite of all these things, God's own beloved Son is glorious in love. And he invites us to accompany him to Jerusalem, to the cross and to the glory of resurrection. Let's go with him. Because we see in verse 8, when the clouds blow on and the old saints disappear and the heavenly voice stops speaking, there remains only Jesus. The disciples do not have to walk the hard road alone. Jesus is not whisked off to heaven. He is there. After the euphoria of the experience in the humdrum and the difficulty of living out the day to day, in the tiring and doubtful journey towards suffering and temptation. There is Jesus, and there he is where it counts for us, veiled again, yes, but present. Amen.